0: Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, Episode 136, Be a NASA Astronaut. I'm Gary Jordan. I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, and astronauts all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. NASA is hiring a new class of astronauts. We're looking for the best and the brightest for the Artemis generation. Uh, What does that mean? It's a new era of human spaceflight with new vehicles and new destinations. We're looking for astronauts to train in the SpaceX Crew Dragon, the Boeing Starliner, and the Orion Deep Space Vehicle. Destinations will be in low Earth orbit, around the Moon, and walking on the lunar surface, all with the red planet on the horizon. So who's the right person for the job? Today we dive deep into the selection process and training for the Artemis generation with Astronaut Selection Manager Ann Romer and NASA Astronaut Caleb Barron. This podcast was recorded and broadcasted live on March 6th, and the astronaut applications close March 31st. There's still time to apply. In the meantime, let's jump right to the action. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. lights are correct. There she goes. We have a podcast. We are getting in front of the cameras today because if you haven't heard, NASA is accepting applications to become an astronaut all throughout the month of March. So we have got a lot of questions and we have great guests here that are going to be answering them for you live. Make sure you follow along with us on Facebook and Twitter and wherever else we got we will be getting to your questions here in a second, but I'd like to first introduce our very special guest starting with Ann Romer. Ann, welcome.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: You are the manager of the astronaut selection office. You know the ins and outs of the application process, uh, for, and you there from the inside in fact you came on the podcast you actually helped us kick it off with episode two I to do. talk about when we brought on the astronaut 2017 class i remember that very well <laughs> well welcome back thank you i'm curious to hear the insides of this
1: thanks we Glad also to have
0: here. kayla baron hey kaylin hi Ka- karen <laughs> kayla uh kayla you're among the turtles the k- astronaut class of 2017. Yeah. you went through this application process and competed against eighteen thousand other people and you're here and as part of the Turtles. You have a bachelor's in systems engineering with a, from the U.S. Naval Academy and a master's in nuclear engineering from Cambridge. You're a marine warfare officer, and you just graduated two months ago. Congratulations. Thank
2: you. How's, uh, be how's life day.
0: been after graduation?
2: It's been awesome. We've been really busy doing lots of different jobs now that we've graduated, still in training as well. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun to contribute to the office in a different way.
0: Wonderful. Okay, well, I have a lot of questions, but we also are going to be taking questions live from you, from the viewer. And we have uh, Jennifer Hernandez standing by. Hey, Jennifer. Hey there, Gary. Hey, Kayla. Hey, Ann. Jennifer works with us in our uh, public affairs office. She's also a fellow Penn Stater. We are? Penn State. Thank you.
2: You're welcome.
1: Uh,
0: We're going to be taking questions (laughs) live. The Ohioans
2: rolling her eyes.
0: (laughs) Well, the fellow Penn Stater is going to be taking uh, questions. I don't know about that. Yeah, we'll see. No. Um, uh, from, from the web. Uh, Jennifer, do we have any questions to start us off?
3: We sure do. We have one from Twitter, from Celery. What do you have <laughs> to do to stand out from all the other applicants? Oh, that's a good question.
1: I think that question's to me. Yeah. Yeah, good. no, I'm just teasing. Um, right, so we, we are looking for a lot of information on the resume that folks fill out. Um, So I would start by saying, right, we want people to be very detailed as they describe their work experience and other experiences. We also give applicants an opportunity to describe hobbies and interests that they have, um, and we encourage applicants to put as much information there as possible as well. When you're reviewing 18,000 applications, sometimes it's the weird stuff that stands out honestly, an interesting hobby or an interesting project at work that, right, an applicant may think, oh, that's just what I do, Um, and so really we're looking for them to give us as much information as possible. Okay. So that's a starting point.
0: That's a starting point for yeah. standing out. Let's yeah. get into the details of what you need just in the first place, right? Okay. So what's yeah. the let's start from the very minimum requirements. What are you looking for as, as a minimum requirement to sure. become a NASA astronaut?
1: The minimum requirements are pretty straightforward, Gary. Uh, we are we require a master's degree, and that's actually hmm. something that's new this year. Um, we have always stated in our application process that that advanced degrees are preferred. This is just trying to be a little bit more overt in what we're looking for and that. Most the majority of astronauts hired have had a master's degree or beyond, Mm. um, or test pilot school. They also, uh, beyond the degree, have to have at least two years of professional experience. And then uh, being a U.S. government agency, we also require uh, U.S. citizenship.
0: Ah, very important. Okay, so yeah, master's degree, I guess you had to deal with the 18,000 applications last time, right? But it turns out, I guess this 2017 class had a lot of masters anyway, is, that, is it sort yeah. of just narrowing in on what yeah. you already know that you're looking for? Yeah. Okay. And right,
1: the the announcement, I encourage applicants to, to review the announcement online. It's got a lot of specifics um, that, that can count towards, right, if they're in a PhD program and have a certain number of hours that can count towards a master's degree, et cetera. So uh, read the announcement. Uh, it's got all the information that folks need to know whether they're qualified yeah. or not. Um,
0: now, this might be a stupid question, but STEM. Now, you know, we always talk about STEM, science, technology, engineering, myth. Why science, technology, engineering, myth? I'm a marketing major. I want to go to space. Why can't I go? I've heard that from a lot of people
2: lately. <laughs>
1: uh, right, the, the core component of what we're asking folks to do and to train, and Kayla can probably speak to this as mm. well. Um, right, there's a technical, technological component of that. Um, and so m- a lot of the jobs at NASA require that STEM background. So.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's It's, ultimately- important. Well, how has it helped you Kayla with just some of your astronaut candidate training, having that STEM background, how has it helped you in just the first few years of training?
2: Um, That's a really good question. I think in our training, we're really generalists. We're asked to understand and be able able to operate in a lot of different contexts, whether that's learning how to operate systems on the space station or fly Mm. a T-38 or even work in mission control. (laughs) Um, And so I think having a tech you know, a STEM background of some kind helps give you sort of the baseline skills you need to understand those things because a lot gets thrown at you really fast. Um, So having a foundation that even though people come from a lot of different areas, whether that's geology, microbiology, engineering, aviation, different parts of the military, medicine, uh, it kind of gives you a starting point to approach a lot of those problems.
0: Yeah, that's huge because you don't you're, you have to train on so many different areas, right? So having a baseline to be able to tackle all of these different problems, STEM is probably one of the best ways to do that. Very interesting. Uh, so you talked about related experiences, Anne. So yes. um, I'm assuming it has to deal with the related experience of what you have a degree in.
1: Yeah, right. And okay. there's some there's some flexibility. For example, though, right, finishing uh, your degree and your master's degree and going and working as a ski instructor, although fun and wonderful, uh, wouldn't we wouldn't count that towards the two year professional experience. So it would mm-hmm. need to be in a discipline, ideally equated with the degree. We see right some of the more general g- physics is an example. You can get a degree in physics and do a lot of different things. So we're looking for that technology experience that that
0: technological experience beyond the degree. Beyond the degree, okay. Yep. Now, what if you're a pilot? Is there a little bit different sure. scenario there?
1: Pilots, um, you know, and it's interesting, we still use, and Kayla, I'm sure we'll talk about this as well, we still hmm. use the T-38 as a training vehicle, and so we do still have pilot astronauts mm-hmm. in the astronaut office. Um, if applying to, as a pilot, uh, folks need to have a minimum of 1,000 hours of pilot in command type, pilot-in-command hours uh, in a high-performance jet aircraft.
0: Okay, and Kayla, I'm guessing, now you were not a pilot, you have various engineering degrees, but you're Mm -hmm. training in the T-38 anyway.
2: Yeah, so we, our class has a number of pilots, but also a number of people from different backgrounds. My background is in the submarine force in the Navy. Um, So after graduating from my master's program, I went through the Navy's nuclear power training and then worked in a very operational context, aboard submarines deploying in the Pacific. Um, so that was kind of applying engineering. That's how I got my you know years of professional experience that Anne is talking about. Um, but when we come here, even if you're not a pilot, you learn how to fly. So we train to fly in the backseat of the T-38, originally in a role kind of doing communications and navigation, but once we get qualified, we also help fly the jet too. So hmm. we use it as an opportunity to train with other crewmates, other astronauts, to learn how to communicate when you're in a high-risk environment, operating real machinery, make decisions when things aren't going according to plan, and things like that.
0: See, I feel like this communication aspect has got to be a big part of being an astronaut, because what we're talking about now is when we're talking about this new class of astronauts, Mm -hmm. and we can actually bring up the the application here in a second, but we're talking about this Artemis generation. You're talking about people who are going to be going to different planets and have to live together for a long period of time. They have Mm -hmm. to coexist. So getting along with your crewmates has got to be pretty important. Do you find that And the turtles? Or do you guys get along with each other?
2: Yeah, we get along really <laughs> great. Uh, I think graduation was really fun for us as a group because it was just a huge accomplishment for us as a team. Yeah. I mean, you get here and you start training and a lot is being asked of you. And most of our evaluations are really about our individual skills and performance. You're kind of in the hot seat alone, but mm-hmm. we chose to approach our training as a team and wanted everybody to get to the finish line together um and that made a huge difference for us because everybody had something that they were really naturally good at and everyone also on the other side had something that was harder for them than they might have expected and so having the support of your peers made all of the difference in the world wow. and we also do specific training geared towards getting to know each other and become good teammates uh, we do things like we went on a backpacking course with knolls in the Canyonlands in utah um, that was really fun we also incorporate that kind of training whenever we're doing Um, other kinds of training as well so we get that kind of training in the neutral buoyancy lab when you're working with a teammate uh, practicing spacewalk skills or things like our geology training where we go out in the field and try to learn about the geology of our planet so that we can apply that in future exploration but a lot of that is about working as a team doing that in a group and taking advantage of everybody's skill sets to accomplish a mission.
0: I really wanna go into what it's like just these first couple years, but first I wanna take a look at the application and see what people can actually do. So, Mm -hmm. in order to uh, go to apply to be an astronaut, thank you Jennifer for taking us here. We're gonna take a look at USA Jobs. Uh, If you're looking to apply to become an astronaut, I would assume you would just search the title astronaut. There it is, astronaut candidate, okay, because you're, you're a candidate for the first couple of years. Okay, so you would go there, you would click on uh, Linda B. Johnson Space Center, that's where we are today. And uh, here you go, this is the application process. And, and actually I've gone through this a couple times, it's, it's pretty dense, there's a lot to it, a lot of different responsibilities. My favorite though is that one right there, extensive travel required. <laughs> yeah. Kayla, I'm sure you're gonna have to go many different places all over the world, outside of the world, That's gonna be an expectation of being a NASA astronaut. Let's see. Specialized. Okay. Here's a good section right here. The uh, degree fields. Uh, what when related to sciences? Because okay, here's that's a good point because we're talking about STEM, right? We've said that science, technology, yep. engineering, math. Degrees in technology are actually not considered qualifying. That's interesting. Are there? Are, but it's, It looks like even some sciences though. So what? Looking at what's not what you uh, what's not considered qualifying. What? Give me some examples of uh, different engineering, math, sciences. That you're looking for.
1: So, right, I think engineering. We probably see the majority of degrees coming from aerospace engineering, mechanical engineering, electrical hmm. engineering. Kayla's sitting here next to me with systems, systems engineering and also nuclear engineering. So, I think I think the the majority of engineering disciplines um, we've probably had applications or candidates come from in the in the science re- arena, right, we have biological science majors, we have the physical science majors, we have, um, we see a lot of applications from medical doctors. uh, And that's an important skill set for the astronaut office to have and continue to have available to us as we look at putting together long duration crews, etc. So um, yeah, most of the degrees that aren't qualifying are listed there. you know, as as curriculums change and majors evolve, if there's ever any doubt, we actually do research the degree program uh, and look at the amount of math and science classes that are required. So if, if there is a questionable degree, we actually do the research and, and make sure that it would be qualifying.
0: OK. Now, Kayla, what made you want to pursue systems engineering and then nuclear engineering? When you were in school, what were you thinking about?
2: Um, Anne probably knows this from perusing applications, but systems (laughs) engineering means a lot of different things at a lot of different universities. At the Naval Academy, it's actually control systems and robotics engineering. So I was attracted to that major initially because it was super interdisciplinary. I liked electrical engineering. I liked coding. Uh, And I liked doing things with an application focus. And so that was a good fit for me because I got to dabble in a lot of different types of engineering and also work on bringing those disciplines together to accomplish something really tangible. And I found that really attractive. Um, And then during my time at the Naval Academy, I got really interested in climate change and new energy technologies that would help us deal with that longer term. And I came to feel that nuclear was a huge part of that uh, future, you know, developing new nuclear generation technologies that had better waste management profiles that were safer and all of these other things. And so that's why I wanted to do that in grad school. So I went and did a research degree helping develop the fuel cycle for a reactor that hopefully will build someday soon.
0: See, that's interesting because what you're talking about, you were passionate when you were pursuing systems, you were just passionate about systems engineering, and when you were pursuing nuclear, it was, you were just passionate about, it, it seems like astronaut wasn't even on your mind at the time.
2: Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Yeah. I, a lot of my colleagues wanted to be astronauts from when they were a little kid. And they definitely were making choices to pursue things they were passionate about too, but always with a mind of keeping those doors open for themselves by yeah. studying the right things, maybe joining the military. There's a lot of different tracks to get to these seats. Um, but for me, I was always looked, looking towards challenging myself as much as I could in each subsequent opportunity. So astronaut wasn't really a thing in the back of my mind. It was something I always thought was really cool but didn't really picture myself doing. Mm. Um, And so I actually didn't become inspired to apply until after I had served on a submarine. Um, When I left my submarine, I went back to the Naval Academy to work there and I got to meet a lot of really interesting people including a couple of astronauts. Um, And chatting with them, talking about the time when they were building the space station i found it really fascinating because it reminded me a lot of the equipment that we use on submarines you're also trying to keep people alive in an environment where they shouldn't exist you know whether you're hundreds of feet below the surface of the ocean or you know hundreds of miles above the surface of the earth mm-hmm. and so that really inspired me because I started thinking of the space station as a submarine in space. <laughs> and the astronauts who I talked to really encouraged me to keep thinking about that. And once it stuck in my mind, it became something that I could actually picture myself doing because I felt the role was so so similar. Um, and so for me, it was just always about pursuing things I was passionate about, and that would be challenging because if I was doing something I liked, even if it was hard, I was gonna enjoy it and get the most out of it and find it the most fulfilling. So I think something you see around our office and especially in our classes everybody who was hired was doing something that they really loved Loved. you know that they They obviously got their dream job by getting the call to come and be an astronaut and they would never trade that for anything. But we all, in some ways, really miss what we were doing before because we were pursuing things we were passionate about. Um, And so I think that's a, a common thread you see across the astronaut office.
1: And I think that's right. Kayla hits upon a point. I think that's one of the best pieces of advice we can give folks, and even especially young folks who may still be aspiring to pursue a STEM degree, et cetera, is pursue something that you're passionate about and that you enjoy. Um, we receive thousands of applications to be an astronaut, um, right, and obviously only a limited number are, ch- are chosen, but um, it really resonates when, when folks get invited in and get come in to interview that they're happy in their jobs and they've liked what they've done and right they've put their heart and soul into it
0: yeah that seems to be a pretty mm-hmm. consistent theme right yeah, so yeah, so not only so. they do they have the qualifications to become a nasa astronaut but they were good and they would be happy in this job that they had in the first place because mm-hmm. you're picking the people that are best in their field right so you know systems engineering nuclear engineering you were one of the best in that field with the confined spaces and living in those areas. So yeah, you pull that. But even if you were still on the submarine, you would still be happy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we get questions about that a lot. I mean, yeah. you know, people yeah. say, should I major in aerospace engineering or mechanical engineering? And you're like, which one do you like? <laughs> a lot of times um, college students ask me, should I take Russian? I'm like, do you want to learn Russian? Or, you know, they're just trying to see, like, do I need to be checking these boxes? And it's like, like Ann was saying, you do have to choose certain fields, there, but there's a broad range yeah. of things you can do, and you just look at our class as an example. We have everything from you know emergency medicine physicians, to Mars geologists, to microbiologists that study cave slime, <laughs> and a bunch of different military roles too, so right. there's a lot of different paths to get to be... a you know a competitive applicant for the astronaut office
0: now of course we're talking about degrees i think we have a really good question about just physical fitness from the web jennifer do we have a question about physical fitness
3: From twitter from marie okay. are there particular exercises or fitness regimes a person ought to do if they wish to apply
0: to be an astronaut in the future okay so i guess just yeah about about fitness kayla do you have do you have any recommendations on just exercises or fitness You know, it's
2: really interesting. In in our office, there are people who are passionate about a whole range of different fitness approaches. Whether they like to run or do triathlons or participate more in team sports, a lot of everybody has sort of their own thing they're passionate about doing and have fun doing. And it's important to be fit, of course, and healthy because flying in space does a lot of, puts a lot of stress on your body. but there's no like particular aspect, I think, that you have to do. I think uh, investing in your own fitness and health is super important, but you can do that a lot of different ways.
0: Okay, yeah, so it's just, uh, once, once again, here's this, this, that same theme, finding something you're passionate about, whether it's cycling, whether it's swimming, whether it's weightlifting, mm-hmm. finding that thing and just having that be a habit for you uh, to, to maintain that fitness consistently throughout your time as an astronaut.
2: Yeah, and we actually have trainers here at NASA who specialize in advising us both when we're in space, but also preparing to go to space and then recovering when we get home. Mm. And that's what they encourage. They say, what do you like to do? What are you going to do consistently? Because that's way better than us prescribing, you know, a very specific yeah. regimen that you're not going to stick to. Yeah. Now, obviously, when you are on the space station, for example, there's only specific equipment. So you, <laughs> you, <laughs> have you have, have choice options. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that being said they believe that you can prepare in a lot of different ways.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. so let's, uh, let's talk about just coming in, right? You, we talked about the application process. We've talked about the minimum applications. Kayla, let's talk about that first time where you got the call that says, hey, we're ready for you to come in. <laughs> we're ready for you to come in and keep interviewing. What was that like, those first, those first rounds of interviews?
2: Um you know every
1: the time the best experience of your life right? every right time answer. i got a call
0: whether it was
1: yeah. from
2: Anne letting me know i was invited for an interview or the final call letting me know i was selected i kind of always was like are you are you sure you had the right number <laughs> you know it's like very double checked yeah, yeah the whole the whole process is uh, very exciting but also very intimidating, you know. There are a lot of impressive people that apply, and the selection panel is made up of really impressive people here at NASA, both in and out of the astronaut office. Um, and for me, especially because it was such a new thing, and I didn't really, you know, chart my course specifically after that, I was always just amazed that they were still interested in in meeting and talking to me more. Um, <laughs> So I feel really grateful to be there, be here, and every time they called me I was really grateful that they were giving me you know, a shot shot at it, for so, sure.
0: So beyond your expertise in your field, and it seems like humility is one of those qualities that's actually a nice thing to have in an astronaut. Uh,
1: yeah, I, right, it is, certainly. I think there are a lot of um, qualities that go in, right? We're looking for good humans is kind of the phrase mm. I've been using right good at communicating good at interpersonal skills and Mm -hmm. and interacting with others uh leadership but also knowing how to follow right a lot of what an astronaut does on orbit is follow directions down to Mm -hmm. you know dotting the t's or dotting the i's and crossing the t's um and so we're looking for a lot of those intangible qualities about people I think uh, having sat on the board a couple of times right and a lot of the astronauts are, are sitting around that table you know looking at you thinking hmm would I want to fly in space with Kayla <laughs> or or is do am I getting vibes that right that would she would drive me crazy so I mean I think I think that's really can't be understated the importance of that when it comes down to the interview phase.
0: A huge question is Would I want to fly with this person not yeah. is this person capable of flying what right. I want to fly with yeah. this person.
1: I mean we don't we don't get really any applications from past ast- right people coming in with astronaut-like experience we, as Kayla mentioned we do a lot of the training mm-hmm. for mm. what what they need to be an astronaut so a lot of the intangible skills and competencies are are equally important. Hmm.
0: Kayla, tell me about the call when you find it. You're, you're going through this interview process. You're you're saying, "Do I even deserve to be here?" But but you got selected. Tell me yeah. about the call.
2: Yeah. Um, so for me, I was serving at the Naval Academy for a couple years, kind of between tours on submarines. I was expecting to go back to a submarine to be an engineer and you know deploy a bunch more times, and that's kind of what I thought I would end up doing. Um, but at the time, I was working at the Naval Academy for the superintendent, the admiral that runs that institution, and it was during graduation week. It was the day before graduation for the senior class, so it was very busy, and we were at a formal military parade where all of the midshipmen, you know, thousands of midshipmen march onto the field in their fancy uniforms. It's a very, like, ceremonial event, and I had to participate in it because I was the admiral's assistant so I would go out there and help you know coordinate the official party and all that and I was so nervous that I would get the call during that one time in the day where I really couldn't have my phone (laughs) because I'm standing at attention in front of hundreds of people watching this uh, parade and sure enough I got back to my phone right after the parade and four minutes before that I had a missed call. And my boss, Admiral Carter, was like, you got to call him back, you got to call him back. And I was like, sir, you can't call this number back. It's like a generic, you know, JSC number is the way it shows up on your phone. I was Mm. like, I think I just got to wait. And so about 45 minutes later, they must have cycled back through the rotation and called me again, um, because we knew they were going to call us on that day to let us know one way or another if we got selected. and we had heard the you know the applicant rumor ma- mill that if either uh, Brian Kelly BK or Chris Cassie called you that probably meant you were getting selected, and it so I would I answered I, the phone. I get to make the bad phone. Calls. Oh, <laughs> you made the bad phone calls. <laughs> yeah, so that was um, the rumor. So I answered the phone and it was BK and Chris, yeah, but of course yeah, I got to listen in. Yeah, yeah. of course you're like. Uh, you know, you don't want to get too excited till you actually hear the words. Um, and I just remember BK asking, Kayla, we're calling to see if you still want to come down to Houston to be a part of the next class. And it is like just the easiest question in the whole world to <laughs> answer. You're just like, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's a pretty short call, you know, they're just like, hey, do you still want to do this? And you're like, of course. I don't know. I can't imagine anyone saying no at that point. Right. Um, but yeah, we, I was just so pumped. High-fived Admiral Carter, called my husband and let him know, and we were just really excited.
0: Wow! And you got to be a part of that.
2: Yeah, I get to.
1: I get to at least listen in on the good on the good phone calls too. Yeah, you
2: deserve that. After thanks.
1: Thanks. Thanks, thanks. Yeah.
0: I got. I got to imagine though. Just you know, you have to narrow it down to 12 people for this 2017 class. 12 people out of 18,000 applicants. Even just narrowing it down there, where did it, where did it go from? from down to 12 was it like 50 or something and you went from 50 down to 12 that had to be hard just by itself
1: yeah well each each step in the process it gets a little more difficult yeah. to 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 continue narrowing it down. Um, Certainly it's a multiple, there are multiple steps in the process that help us narrow this down. Uh, Typically, right, multiple sets of of reviewing applications. We are, we do two rounds of interviews actually. So we typically bring around 120 folks in for the first round of interviews. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we kind of keep squeezing the numbers. We have about generally between 40 and 50 that come back for the second Mm -hmm. round and then that gradually gets us into whatever number we're gonna select.
0: Whew, that's gotta be tough. All right, let's see what we have on online. Jennifer, do we have any questions from some of our viewers?
3: We sure do, we have one from M31 on Twitter. Can physicians be astronauts?
0: Physicians, okay. Yes, Doctors. Yes. yes, yes. Is there any type of physician that is, uh, you know pediatrician or or internal medicine Oops. or emergency medicine
1: yeah we've we've seen applications um from a wide range of physicians mm-hmm. so i can't think of you know the, the medical degree in and of itself whether an md or a do is is qualifying
0: wonderful okay yeah and, and it meets those requirements of a master's degree it meets those requirements of science technology and engineering math yep. and of course you have to be a u.s citizen yep okay so kayla you got selected you came to NASA, I'm sure that was a whole process of moving and, and your mm-hmm. first day and everything. Tell me about some of the training you went through. We talked about T-38 training, mm-hmm. which is in the plane, but what are what some of the other things you're doing in your first few years, first few years as an astronaut candidate?
2: Yeah, so there are basically six big areas we're training in. You mentioned T-38, mm-hmm. we also do sort of basic spacewalk training that's mostly done in the Neutral Buoyancy Lab where you train underwater in a spacesuit. Uh, we also do robotics operations training, learn how to operate the robotic arm that's on the space station. We learn all about space station systems and how to operate, you know, the cooling systems, the electrical systems, and how to respond when something breaks. Uh, So to prepare for a mission on the space station, Um, we all learn to speak Russian, uh, which is a challenge for many of us. I I hear that's
0: one of the harder ones.
2: Yeah, Yeah. it's it's tough. I mean, some people are natural language learners and some, like me, are not. Um, (laughs) But we are lucky that we have very talented and patient instructors to help us through that. Um, and then the sixth area that we sometimes don't mention, but I really think we should, is expeditionary skills training, which or teamwork training, teamwork, really. Yeah. And we, we touched on that a bit earlier. Um, but I think that's just a hu- such a huge component of what we do here at NASA. You know, You can be technically qualified in a lot of ways, but if you're not able to work effectively with people from different backgrounds, If you're not able to you know address and move on from conflict if you're not able to figure out how to bring out the best in yourself and others to really be a high functioning team um then we're really doing a disservice to um you know the the whole country and world you know being one of these getting this huge opportunity to work off the planet um i think we owe it to everyone to be our best selves and work as a team to accomplish the mission
0: Now I'm sure that takes quite a long time. Let's see if we have any questions about training online. Jennifer, do we have any questions? Yeah, speaking of training,
3: we have Anna from Twitter. How long does the training process take? Okay, yeah, how long? Um, Our initial training is about two years, Okay. um, and that's where we accomplish
2: our exams in all of the areas I just talked about and qualify to become astronauts. So when you graduate, you go from being an astronaut candidate to an astronaut and being eligible for a mission assignment. But really, you keep training your entire time because there's a long time between your, you know, getting hired in your first mission, but also between your missions. And so we are constantly continuing to train in all of the areas I talked about so Mm -hmm. that when you are assigned to a specific mission, you're ready to go and do more advanced training with your actual crewmates to get ready to fly.
0: So what are some of the things that might be in the realm of advanced training? Like, what are you gonna be zeroing in on?
2: Yeah, so we're kind of doing basic generic skills during our astronaut candidate training, kind of just the foundation upon which we can build later. Oh. But when we get assigned to a specific mission, instead of just learning, you know, generically about what's in the US laboratory module on the space station, we'll be actually practicing setting up experiments, we'll do. Um, we'll be practicing more with how to do photography and um, how to operate you know, all the equipment that we might actually be using. And then our spacewalk training becomes really specialized too. If there's a spacewalk planned for that mission, we'll start training those very specific procedures, basically as a dress rehearsal for doing it in real life.
0: Okay. So you're, you're Mm -hmm. past the phase where you, during astronaut candidate training, you're just developing the basic skills. Now it's just, when you get to assigned to a mission, you can learn kind of exactly what you'll be doing. Exactly. So whether it's changing a battery or whether it's installing a new, new science hardware, you'll specialize in mm-hmm. that. Okay, Yeah. very cool. Now, you graduated recently, too. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a pretty cool event to see, I'll say, just because uh, what, what's unique, for, at least for me, in a selfish way, I got to interview you guys when you came on, and then two years later, there you are on the stage, you know, graduating. How was that, just, just the event? Just, what, what did it, was it significant to you in the sense that, wow, I actually, I actually did this?
2: Yeah, you know, like I kind of mentioned before, I think the coolest part for us was the class experience of graduating, of kind of getting to that point that the senior astronauts in the office were saying they trusted us to continue on. Hmm. And that meant that meant a lot to us, you know, having Pat Forrester, the chief of the office, give us our silver astronaut pin, um, and Jeremy Hansen, our class supervisor, who was kind of our guide through the day-to-day life of being an astronaut candidate, you know, meant a lot to get to that stage together and to be on the cusp of the next phase of our careers as young astronauts. Um, So it was a big deal in that sense. And it was also a really cool opportunity really to acknowledge and thank the people who selected us, the people who supported us in training, our instructors, our mentors, and of course our families Without their support, we wouldn't have the opportunity to come here and do this amazing thing. Um, so I think for us, it was a team success and also a chance to acknowledge the people who built us up to get there in the first place.
0: Wonderful. It must have been cool for you too, Ann, to see because you selected them and there they were on the stage.
2: I was I was very proud.
0: Yeah,
1: proud moment, and I was grateful to be in the audience.
0: Very cool. Now. Do, you know, you're, I'm sure you're reflecting at this time of graduation on some of, the, some of the training and just what you had to go through. You talked about this diverse set of experiences and you got to do it with some of your crewmates. You even told stories on the stage of just your time together. Mm-hmm. Do you have a memorable moment from, from, that two, from those two years, maybe during one of the geology trips or maybe a particular time during one of the spacewalks? Or the NBL, the, the Neutral point Yeah,
2: you know, there's there's almost too many to count. Like, yeah. it's such a wonderful group to be a part of. Like, I feel so lucky that I get to come to work every day and work with my colleagues in my class in the astronaut office, and then in the larger NASA community. Like, everyone is here because they're really passionate about it. People choose to work here at Johnson Space Center. People choose to dedicate their lives to human space exploration, and. It's just always such a supportive and exciting team to be a part of. I think for most of us, our favorite memories from training are things that we did in the field. A lot of us think of our time on that backpacking trip with Knowles that we did as kind of a keystone experience for us um, because we already knew each other really well, but kind of working in that more extreme context of having to figure out where we're going to get water, how to cook our food together, and just you know, traversing in the backcountry, making decisions and supporting each other, kind of seeing everybody at their best and their worst. Um, Hopefully Johnny would think it's okay for me to tell this story, but one of my favorite moments from that trip. um, we So there's not much water in that part of Utah. Uh, A lot of times you're kind of scooping it out of these little potholes in the rock, just that like an inch thick of water trying to fill your you know, various vessels for the day. Um, So it was kind of hard to get water sometimes. But one night, it started just this torrential downpour of rain. And it was cold and we're all huddled sort of under this overhang trying to stay dry. And Johnny's tromping around in the puddles. He's wearing this big camouflage poncho. And I just remember looking up at him and my, my headlamp was shining on him, it was dark. And he was using his poncho as a funnel to shoot rainwater into all the water bottles and pots and pans and he just looked up at me with this really excited look on his face and said, Kayla, look at all this free water. (laughs) (laughs) And it made me laugh so hard because it's just like, it's in those moments where people are cold and tired and, you know, maybe a little bit bummed out and seeing one of your peers, your teammates, like literally the glass is half full for him. You know, he's just like, this, look at all this free water. And you're like, you can think like, oh, it's cold, terrible rain. But for him, he was choosing to see it from a different perspective. And that's the kind of teammate you really want in those hard moments because all of a sudden, everyone's laughing, everyone's morale is boosted. And that's just Johnny being Johnny, you know, Johnny being himself and being willing to share himself with us really brought the team out of, you know, a tough moment. And so it's things like that that you just always think about.
0: Yeah, you know, you can you can say all oh, you need these team skills all you want, but it's stories that like that that really lock yep. it in just like when when things are really down, being able to rely on each other um, mm-hmm. and and knowing each other's strengths, weaknesses, ups, downs, um, knowing what everyone's going through, that's critical to the success of a mission because it's, it's a just you are That's a wonderful story. Yeah, so this is this is what you're talking about when you talk about yeah. when you talk about yeah. your 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 interpersonal skills. I'm sure that's a big part of the the interview process just by itself is just how, not only who they are and understanding their background, yeah. but how they're interacting with each other.
1: Yeah, we get asked a lot, right? Yeah. What advice can you give somebody who's got been invited to do an interview, and right, again, the advice comes to just be yourself, right, and not, you're not trying to kind of fake your way through the interview process being someone you're not we're really looking for people who are genuine and real so if you know having interviewed Johnny that story doesn't really surprise me that's exactly <laughs> what I would have expected from him
2: yeah I remember um, coming down for my first interview and we come down we came down in groups of 10 for our class yeah. and meeting all the other candidates I was just so blown away by how talented and wonderful all of them were and it's it's hard not to feel a little bit of imposter syndrome, you know, you're like, what am I doing here? Like, what did they really see in me? And kind of wondering, you know, when I go into that interview, interview room, and sit at the end of this long table with all of these astronauts and senior NASA officials, like, what are they looking for? What do they want from me? And I remember going into my interview, for some reason, the last thing I thought before I walked in the door was I I said, don't make any jokes. Because I was so worried I was going to say something sarcastic or whatever, you know, show my sense of humor, and it wouldn't be received the right way, because they didn't know me very well. And I sat down, and we were talking, and it didn't take long before Uh, Tonto, Reed Weissman, made some sort of joke at me and just instinctually, you know, that's just how you interact. He's a naval officer too. That's just how you interact. You kind of talk trash to each other. Mm -hmm. You dished it back. I dished it right back (laughs) at him and there was this moment of silence and I was like, oh no, that was the one thing you weren't supposed to do. But then Chell Lindgren started laughing, everyone started laughing, and it just relaxed me and I just went, you know, in that moment, really quick, I was just like, you know, I'm just going to be myself Hmm. and if that's what they're looking for, awesome, I'll feel authentic in doing it, and if not, they probably know that too, so that's okay. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it, that moment really helps me just be like, be a human, be myself, be, Yeah. show who you Good are, human. Um, and that'll carry the day or it won't. And so that sort of healthy fatalism of just be yourself, be honest about who you are, I think goes a long way.
0: Yeah, because when you're thinking about it, can these people work together? There's that level of authenticity that you're looking for, because you're not looking for yeah. this facade. Whenever you're you're selecting an astronaut, you know you want to know the true person, because ultimately, to that story you just told with Johnny Kim, it's going to be relying on that person. So you want to know that person and who they really are, not just the facade of who they are. Yep. Let's see if there's another question. Um, Jennifer, do we have another question from online? We sure do. From Stephanie
3: Jackson on Twitter, is there an age limit of applying to be an astronaut? That's a
0: popular one.
1: There is not an age limit. Uh, and that includes right a, a, lim- a, a floor and a ceiling. There are, there are no limits. Um, folks need to meet the minimum requirements. Um, you know, the requirement comes in as we get down to the final group. Candidates have to be able to pass NASA's long-duration spaceflight physical hmm. um, and and provided they can do that That's all good.
0: That's that's the core. That's yep. the core of it. Not yep. an age, but just the skill set and, and the ability. Correct. Yeah, I understand um, Now Kayla you you talked about this camaraderie um, it, That makes me think of just your class name the, the turtles. Mm-hmm. What why are you called the turtles? Did you name that together as a, as a group?
2: No, there is a long tradition of the class just above you oh. gives you your class nickname. So for us, the 2013 class, the eight balls, were in charge of giving us our nickname. Um, and it, it's kind of, I think, comes a bit from an aviation call sign or nickname hmm. uh, tradition, where there's always more than one meaning. Um, but the inspiration for the name actually came from the vice president's speech that he gave at our announcement. He was talking about how, you know, our families and friends had supported us in order to be there on that stage that day. And he used a metaphor that if you see a box turtle on a fence post, you know it didn't get there on its own. Hmm. And so that was the original genesis of the question, or of the, the call sign, the nickname.
0: Because you guys didn't get there on, their, on your own, it was the support of everyone around you that helped yeah. you to get to you to that point? Yeah. Very cool.
1: And a lot of times, the names have always been things that don't fly. Correct? <coughs> yeah. Turtles don't fly. Turtles, turtles don't fly. Slow. They're Sometimes slow. they need to get back in
2: their shell, <laughs> yeah. etc.
0: Okay. So there's a, there's yeah. There's always a double meaning. There's always yes. a double meaning. That's hilarious. Now um, let's zoom in on on this class that you're looking for and because we're talking about this next class right i love the stories of the 2017 class yeah we, it keeps getting referred to as the artemis generation let's just start there what does that mean what are we looking for
1: so uh i'm optimistic that uh most people know that we're trying to go back to the moon by 2024 uh and certainly to us that's just the next stopping point i i hope we're on our way to mars beyond that i think that's the long-term mm. goal And so Artemis is kind of the umbrella for the missions that will take us back to the moon. Okay. So,
0: so is there differences that you know from different classes? Just from thinking about international space station crews, are we you know are we talking about being together? And and I keep going back to this interpersonal skills and getting along with each other because how I imagine this going is they're going to be together by themselves for really long periods of time.
1: Eventually, yeah. So right, surprisingly, what we've looked for, um, whether looking back through the shuttle selection era, um, through International Space Station, onto the moon, and hopefully on to Mars, the skill set that we've looked for really hasn't changed that much, right? The intangible skills have have remained pretty consistent right and Hmm. and we've hit upon one of them extensively today which is being a good teammate and and understanding really what that means sometimes it may mean leading the team sometimes it may mean being a follower on the team etc and so really what we've been focusing on with this class isn't really much different than what we've always focused on in astronaut selection.
0: Okay, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. I want to zoom in on the uh, the technical aspect because I because I, I do keep going back to this theme of team aspect because I find it really fascinating. But just having a systems engineering background, having an, a nuclear engineering background, I want to understand better just the application, maybe that you found in your training. Just you
3: mm-hmm. know taking
0: your classes and going through the brutal courses of what it takes to become a systems engineer, bachelors, and then a nuclear engineer, masters things that you found, the skills that you've taken from that that are directly applicable to some of your early astronaut training.
2: Um, You know, for me, I think my formal education in engineering really taught me how to think critically about tough problems, how to come Hmm. up with ideas and test them, um, and how to take in a lot of data and parse out from that useful information upon which I could make a decision. Um, But I think for me... I'm constantly leaning on my experience in the Navy, which of course my education informed as well. Um, A submarine is a very technical, crazy, complicated machine and whether that's working on the engineering side, which we all do at first, or actually more on the operation side, like driving the boat and making tactical decisions, um, I, I constantly rely on that experience because I think it's really similar to a lot of the things we do here At NASA so that operational context really helps because that you have to understand all of that engineering equipment Mm. But you also have to work as a team to keep you know Everything working correctly and make really critical decisions in a time-sensitive environment Um, And so I I find myself leaning on those Lessons of how you bring the best out of everybody to do something. That's really hard. Yeah Um, I, I rely on those lessons a lot and the way I trained for that to deploy on a submarine and be successful there is really similar to the way I approach my training here at NASA. But I think that's true for all of us, even people from very different backgrounds. (laughs) Like, you know, you have people who like my classmate, Jessica Watkins, who's a Mars geologist and worked um, at JPL on the Mars rovers. You know, that's that was she was doing that as a postdoc It's very academic, but it's also a team working together with limited resources to try to do something incredible right and so she in the same way relies on that experience even though it's very different than what i did in the navy Um, and so i think those academic experiences inform our professional experiences too and those are also really important
0: yeah let's zoom in on on an aspect of that of working in a team because because ann you mentioned this you said there's a skill of knowing when to lead and when to follow. and doing both is really critical to being an astronaut. I'm mm-hmm. sure you had to deal with this on a submarine, too, knowing when to lead and when to follow. What's that like? is Is there a, you know, a, a mindset you have to be in of yes, now, it's time to lead and yes, now it's time to follow.
2: Sure. yeah. I mean, I think there are definitely times where you're going to be in a designated leadership role. That's always mm-hmm. been, you know the NASA, and the astronaut program has its roots in military aviation, so people are used to that. You know, you have spatial commanders or space yeah. station commanders, um, and they're used to that formal designated authority, but sometimes the hairier parts are followership and also self-leadership. You know, like, I think thinking about followership as actually being a self-leader, like, that that makes it more actionable. Like, you are it's not my job just to follow you, it's my job to actively figure out how to support you as a designator leader and contribute to the team. And there, you know, our, our office is pretty small and we're constantly working in different roles so sometimes I might be in charge of something even though I have very little experience and sometimes I might be, you know, I might have a peer in charge of me or vice versa hmm. um, and being able to sort of transition very seamlessly between those roles and understand the different contexts and what that means is really important
0: that's huge now let's let's zoom in on um, this class once again because I want to mm-hmm. take bring us back to the fact of why we're here right it's it's March 6th we have until March 31st that's correct that these applications are open where do we sit right now um, in terms of ballpark applications because i've I've heard it was 600 in the first few days or something
1: it was that's why i don't get daily updates i don't (laughs) don't need need to be freaked out uh no when i checked yesterday we were close to 2000. wow so and that that's pretty normal right the first the the beginning opening period and then the end of the opening period we typically see big spikes especially Mm -hmm. with this with the special attention on the the last day. We have a lot of people that wait to the last day to apply.
0: Okay. Maybe just beefing up their resume and looking for that. that, Maybe. That
1: constant month to fine-tune everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah, so I guess there's people thinking about what it takes for, um, you know, walking on the moon, what it takes for working in teams. Um, when you're looking at a resume you know because all of this is going to be digital right yep. we're, we're going through through USA jobs yep is there something that pops up to you maybe maybe a weird skill or just some some sort of, of diverse something different um, that that might make someone pop versus another 2,000 people that you're looking at
1: you know I think I think I've seen a lot of weird skills on resumes <laughs> if I'm being honest um, some people employ creative writing even which is always very entertaining Um... You know, I, again, I think that's where that hobbies and other other interests section can be really mm-hmm. informative. Uh, that's a section where, again, it needs a little bit of context. We have a lot of people who tell us, oh, I'm scuba certified, okay, well, that doesn't tell me if they're scuba certified and that's all they've done or have they gone on 200 dives or, yeah. you know, marathon runner, okay, well, did you train and run one marathon or have you run 50? Um, so there's a lot of room in that section for people to tell us and right, we see coding language. I remember the last selection cycle having to look up somebody wrote that they spoke Python and I'm like, I d I do don't know what Python is. <laughs> like a snake, it's a, co- it's a coding oh, it's language. it's a coding language. But I right, I mean so you you I I've seen the gamut of things. But but all of those things, the fact that I went and looked up what speaking Python meant, I was like, Oh, okay, <laughs> that's interesting. I learned something. So you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't not put anything down that could be relevant.
0: Interesting. All right, let's see if we have a case study online, Jennifer. Do we have a question from some we of sure our Sure do.
3: Users? Speaking of, you know, the gamut of skills and backgrounds, we have one from Diesel from Twitter. Is NASA accepting pilot applications from pilots who have not graduated from TPS? Is weapon school graduation and test flight experience a suitable alternative? Mm.
1: Sure. So I would, um, I'd encourage folks to read the application. But so I'm going off memory here. We yeah. we added test pilot school as um, a way for pilots and others to demonstrate that they have a master's degree, right? Because basically that's it's extra schooling in the mm-hmm. in the math and science arena. Mm. Um, for our pilots, they are not required to have gone to test pilot school. However, uh, they they that would not, they would still have to have the master's degree, though the advanced master's degree in a technical field. Hmm. So, so they right. I'd encourage folks that are interested or considering whether test pilot school works or doesn't work to very specifically read um, that section of the announcement.
0: Yeah. Okay. So definitely get the yeah. the details. Yeah. there, are, from there the... are a
1: few little nuances there.
0: Well, Kayla, what did you do to uh, make yourself stand out in terms of was it was it maybe oh just your skills or did you have that weird? I can, thing?
1: An, I can answer that. Oh. I have no idea. I remember.
0: <laughs> there you go. Uh,
1: right. I mean, if I recall, Kayla's application being one of the first three. I think women in this in the submarine force is that correct? To kind of. Um,
2: so I was in the first year group. First couple, yeah. yeah that yeah, women were accepted in the submarine force. Um, Yeah, and on my on my submarine there were like between three and five of us at a time. Yeah. But yeah, it was still pretty new. Yeah. It was very new, right? Mm -hmm. And that stood out. And then I think also the
1: direct correlation that Kayla already spoke to with the environment of living and working on a submarine Mm -hmm. translates directly to basically the space station. If Kayla thinks of the space station as a, as a flying sub, I love that, <laughs> um, I'm gonna use that. Submarine in space. Submarine in <laughs> space, I like it. So, I mean, right, those are two things right there that I even yeah. recall reading Kayla's resume years ago.
0: Well, uh, and what are you in for for the next few months, maybe years, for looking at once the application? Yep. Because they closed on the 31st, your job's not even close to done.
1: No, it's actually just starting. <laughs> uh, we anticipate, NASA anticipates announcing the next class of astronauts in, in, I always say the early summer of 2021, I don't know, Houston summer tends to start in March, so... Um, <laughs> I'm already feeling it, yeah. May, May June-ish of 2021. Um, But as we talked about earlier, this is a multi-step process and so there are things that we'll start doing from the day that announcement closes to try and, you know, continually whittle down the numbers and make sure that we're looking at the highly qualified folks and inviting those folks for interviews, etc. So, yeah, it's about another year plus in the making
0: yeah it's gonna be a long one yeah now Kayla you're we're talking about the Artemis generation hiring the Artemis generation it's also very apparent that you're part of this you you are the Artemis generation tell me what some of the folks that are applying to be astronauts what they can expect if they eventually do become astronauts what we have to look forward to
2: You know, it's a really exciting time to be starting work at NASA because we're continuing the amazing work we're doing on the space station and we've gotten really good at knowing how to operate up there and accomplish a lot. And so we're really excited to be a part of and continue to build on that legacy. But what makes it really exciting is we also have a lot of other things going on. We're about to bring the commercial crew program online where we'll Mm -hmm. launch NASA astronauts from the Cape in Florida again on Boeing and SpaceX vehicles, which is super exciting. Those will be going to the space station. So it'll be another way to get a ride there. Um, But also we're developing all of our systems for the Artemis program, a return to the moon with the goal of putting humans back on the surface of the moon by 2024. And so that involves a new rocket, a new space capsule, new space suits, thinking about power generation technologies, in situ resource utilization on the moon, and all of these things you can really nerd out on with the people <laughs> you find around Johnson Space Center. Um, so for us, it's super exciting because it feels like we're on the cusp of a whole new mission. Um, so we're The timing's good because you get to to be a part of that sort of legacy mission of the space station, but also be a part of building the future of NASA, which is returning to the moon, hopefully to eventually go on to Mars, which would be just so incredible. So it's a a really fun time to be here. Yeah,
1: And I know, right, there's a lot of excitement. I hope at at NASA and hopefully beyond across the country to return flying U.S. astronauts from U.S. soil on U.S.
2: rockets, so it's a great time.
0: That's to huge. work at NASA. Are the yeah. turtles part of that right now? Because we're building up to that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of us have been involved in different ways in the commercial crew program. Cool. Um, some of us have been doing verification testing with them, you know, just kind of finalizing the details of their system, getting to test them out with fresh eyes and give them feedback on how things work. Uh, people are involved in operations, getting ready for those actual launches from Cape Canaveral in Florida. So really thinking through, you know, how do we get the astronauts ready for launch? How do we take care of their families? And what do we do when they land? How do we get them back to safety? Um, so there's a lot of things that are spinning back up that we haven't really been doing since the space space shuttle stopped flying. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, a, it's an exciting time.
0: It's a very exciting time. We have a lot of of, I guess, new skills to look forward to, right? Let's see if we have one more question from online. Jennifer, can we squeeze in one more? We sure do. Okay.
3: We have one from Drew from Twitter. Will current astronauts be required to do updated training to go to the moon?
0: Okay. Well, I guess is maybe Kayla, you mentioned specialized training. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll be part of the specialized training. I don't know yeah. if the candidate training will be updated, but
1: no. Well, I think as Kayla mentioned, right, the candidate training kind of focuses on the the basic Skills things that based, every astronaut yeah. astronaut needs to know, and then there's always mission-specific training beyond that. So,
2: yeah, I think a lot of the training the new class will do will be pretty similar, similar. to what our class yeah. did. Um, But as we start to fly to the moon, of course, we'll be doing specific training to include advanced geology training so that we can be ready to do some awesome science when we're up there. Uh, We'll modify and expand our spacewalk training so that we can learn how to operate correctly in one-sixth Earth gravity as opposed to the apparent microgravity environment we have on Space Station now. Lots of different tools, lots of different vehicles, you know, we have to fly a new capsule, we have to fly a lander. Um, All of this new sort of mission-specific equipment absolutely will be doing some additional training on that. Uh, But I think it'll be more part of mission-specific training that you do after you graduate from astronaut candidate training.
0: So if you had had to put your name in the hat for one of those specialized training, I know what I would pick. What would you pick?
2: You know, I I really love the spacewalk training we do and I've been helping out a little bit with the next generation spacesuit that we'll wear on the next moonwalk, the Exploration EMU or XEMU. Um, so I'm constantly nerding out and getting excited about those moonwalks. Uh, just yesterday, we were over in the uh, rock yard where they have simulated soil environments, looking at the first generation of the geology tools we'll be using. Um, and it just gets your your head in that mindset of standing on the moon, looking back at earth and collecting these samples that will inform science for decades, if not centuries to come. Um, so it, it's definitely, cool to be thinking about that stuff
0: that's huge and if you had to pick one specialized training
2: oh my feet are happy on
1: the earth so (laughs) i I don't know i might actually choose russian you'd you'd
0: be the trainer yeah Yeah. (sighs) i know i would sign up for the moonwalking and well, and Kayla, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and describing yeah, the inside experience. This anytime. has been really, really fun and I appreciate your time, I really do. Jennifer, thanks for being our face for the for the viewers and the listeners and taking in some of your questions. You got it, it was so nice to be with y'all today. <laughs> and thanks to the listeners for actually submitting questions. They were all really great and I think we, it really stimulated a fantastic conversation. Again, the astronaut applications are open until the March 31st, 31st. so beef up those <laughs> resumes and go on USA jobs and you can submit it there before then and subscribe to Houston. We have a podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for sticking around uh, for this recorded version of Houston. We have a podcast. If you haven't checked out the live version, you can check us out on YouTube and on Facebook. Just search us at some of the NASA accounts. If you love this podcast, subscribe to us at nasa.gov podcast. Check out some of the other shows that we have here at NASA. You can follow us, Houston. We have a podcast on the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show. Make sure to mention it's for Houston. We have a podcast. This episode was aired live on March 6, 2020 thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Norm Moran, Belinda Polito, Kelly Humphreys, Megan Sumner, Leah Cheshire, John Stoll, Dane Turner, and Jennifer Hernandez. Thanks again to Ann Romer and Kayla Barron for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us how we did and apply to be a NASA astronaut by March 31st, 2020. We'll be back next week.